Welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. <laughs> Dramatic we pause. The, um, we have to build the anticipation, exactly. Is that what we call it when we have like big gaps between episodes, like th- three months? It's not dead air, it's anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so speaking of... Uh, uh, childish things. Um, today we're going to talk about the unexplored genre of chiptune music. Um, now when you say unexplored, do you mean by us? By us, yes. Okay. It's probably been explored by other people. A lot of people like it. We have not explored it. Uh, cool. So I guess before talking about how chiptune music evolved, we should probably talk about what chiptune music is. Mm-hmm. Um Chiptune music is also known as 8-bit music and is uh, a type of synthesized electronic music made for a programmable sound generator or PSG sound chips. But you already knew that, listeners. Yes, exactly. Who, who doesn't know that? Used in vintage computers, consoles, and arcade machines. So basically, all of those beep-boop video game sounds you remember from like the 80s and early 90s, mm-hmm. that was all made through these simple sound chips until that technology obviously advanced further in, say, like the late 90s, you know, with the PlayStation and stuff, and they could actually make better sounds. And we actually mentioned that, not super in-depth, but a couple episodes back when we were talking about, like, uh, video game music from the 90s, just, I mean, us on a personal level. Um, Yeah, that's right, yeah. Two episodes ago, we talked about our favorite video game music, and some of the ones I had picked were kind of from this era of, like, beep-boop music, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Should we, um, uh, I realize we're not, like, getting into the actual topic yet. We're just kind of doing the overview right now. But should we play a really quick clip of something just to give listeners, like, hey, this is what the heck we're talking about? Yeah, let's yeah, let's play the song from, like, original Mario, and you can kind of realize, hey, that's what chiptune music basically is. Mm-hmm. Now that you know what now that you know what chiptune music is, um, we've done our job. Like us on Facebook yep. at facebook.com/slash/getyourfunk. Stay tuned next week for another exciting episode of uh, whatever this is, Batman. So yeah, so chiptune music obviously started uh, before even you know the original Mario. It can technically be traced back to the late '70s, but it really kind of took off in the early '80s when personal computers became far less expensive and more accessible to the average person. Therefore, artists could digitally sort of create these sounds um, through really rudimentary programs. And chiptune has always kind of been an underground genre, but it actually gained moderate popularity in the 80s and continued to rise through the 21st century and actually influenced... uh, the development of, I guess, electronic dance music, or EDM. In some ways, chiptune music was kind of some of the first electronic music. So yeah. that's kind of interesting. Um, or if any, or if nothing so, else, maybe some of like the first widespread... Yeah, exactly. Music, yeah. Exactly. That's kind of um, cool. So I was able to trace 
uh, triptune music back to this band from the late seventies called Yellow Magic Orchestra, which I didn't find out until later research is actually a Japanese band. Hmm. In the late seventies, they actually were a electronic dance slash synth pop group that were using computers to produce synthesized music. Some of their, um, Early music, including their 1978 self-titled album, were actually sampling sounds from popular arcade games, such as Space Invaders and Gunfight. So, basically, rather than creating their own chiptune sounds, they were basically just sampling sounds from video games. Mm, Interesting. um, Which is kind of funny. Um, One of the popular songs off of their debut album is actually just called Computer Game. And it's basically just um, a big sampling of computer game sounds laid together in sort of a, I don't know, rhythmic way. Hmm. Uh, it's really interesting if you listen to it, but it's just crazy to think that this came out on like 78. Well, why don't, we, uh, why don't we listen to a clip of that, listeners, so that you can hear a bit of it, and I'm going to listen to it as well. Sounds good. This is Computer Game by Yellow Magic Orchestra. is an interesting track um kind of skipping through like the entirety of it L- listeners you only got a clip of it but the first two minutes or so is kind of feels just disjointed with a lot of just overlaid sounds and stuff mm-hmm. but then after that it starts to get into actually like a rhythmic like real more synth pop sort of song and actually i i enjoyed that quite a bit and that's yeah that's pretty early for something like this i feel like yeah true very true you were getting some, I mean, I feel like late 70s was just when this was becoming a thing. So it's not like no one else was doing it this early, but that is still pretty early. Exactly. That's cool. Uh, here's a question, and this might be jumping ahead to something you might bring up later, but um, how do you know how much of chiptune music like is not based in computer games at all? Because usually when I think of chiptune music, I, I just think of music from old video games but i guess i mean it's also kind of a genre in itself right yeah a lot of a, a lot of chiptune music that ended up evolving after this was specifically made to be music it wasn't necessarily for video games however a lot of uh a lot of i guess what you would call video game music makers ended up experimenting and making their own mm. chiptune music outside of video games so the two the video game industry and chiptune music kind of has always, have always been intertwined, but they're not like... Chiptune music isn't only made for video games. It's made for okay, dancing okay. and whatever. So yeah, um, I guess moving on, after the, um, I guess, advancement of computers went along in the 80s, there was actually the introduction of this thing called Frequency Modulation Synthesis, or FM Synthesis, that was actually first commercially released by Yamaha um, for their digital synthesizers and FM sound chips and began appearing in early arcade machines in the early 80s. Um, so this is basically a chip that allowed sounds to be played. And for their frequency to be modulated. Right. So it's not just like a, a single harmonic noise that you have to shift, I guess. And I guess a major uh, chiptune composer during this 
this early 80s period was uh, a guy by the name of Yuzo Koshiro. Mm. He actually did the soundtrack for this really popular uh, arcade game called The Revenge of Shinobi in ni- that was made in 1989 that featured, I guess, what you would consider uh, house and progressive techno compositions mm. that was fused with more of a... It, it was interesting because it fused... Um, electronic dance music that was becoming popular in the late 80s mm. with traditional Japanese music that kind of I forget the name of the instrument, that Japanese guitar that makes that really distinctive sound You listeners can tell us on Facebook what that's called Yeah, I forgot uh, I feel like I almost <laughs> got a little bit of that same uh, influence from the last song we just listened to as well, at least in parts of it Yeah Maybe not as much as what's in this one, I guess we'll find out I have not heard of Revenge of Shinobi before. I have not either, but uh, apparently it was a very popular arcade game. Mm. So, cool. Um, let's listen to a little clip of the theme song from this video game, Revenge of Shinobi, by Yuzo Kashiro. Yeah, this is interesting. It's definitely more advanced, if you will. Like, there's more instruments to it, almost. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, they moved from, like, 8-track to 16-track recording, you know, where mm-hmm. they could make more complicated sounds and stuff. Yeah. Now, what's funny is that during, around this same time, as arcade games were becoming popular, the first home console systems were also coming out like uh, the commodore amiga the original nintendo the atari hmm. i think the atari was te- technically the 70s i don't know i think that's right and in 1985 the commodore amiga actually pioneered uh, a new chip synthesized sound software called amiga tracker okay and allowed for the music uh, in video games to move away from that sort of more chip-synthesized sound to something more auditorily realistic, if that makes sense. Um, mm, yeah. And because this uh, software was so was did become widely available due to you know developers, people wanting to develop for the Commodore Amiga, it actually inspired a large number of computer enthusiasts to create computer music mm. with this software. So, yay. That's pretty cool. One of the big, uh, I guess, chiptune artists that used this software to create music was a DJ named Format, except it's with a 4-M-A-T. Yeah, he's kind of interesting. Um, I found a song that he did in 1990 called Mm. Clips. You can definitely hear a little bit of the advancements from something like uh, Revenge of Shinobi. It sounds a bit more refined. Cool. Uh, I want to listen to a clip of Eclipse by format. Sounds good. You know, I having only heard a little bit of it, um, I actually quite enjoy it. Um, I actually want to go back and listen to the entire thing later. Uh, but I'm all, yeah, I'm also kind of a sucker for like synth pop music. So like that 
is pretty appealing to me. Uh, yeah, that definitely feels more advanced. Like that's almost more just like regular music versus like what you would consider strictly chip exactly. chip tune music. Which actually brings up a point I was gonna make um, shortly before the clip when you were talking mm-hmm. about how like basically you know as the technology advances, then you have more ability to make the instruments sound more realistic for lack of a better term. But that brings up the question to me is, and it's kind of a more of like a philosophical question is like, where do you draw the line between what is and isn't chiptune music? That's a good point. Um, that's, that's actually kind of leads into what I was about to talk about. Oh. Um, basically as in the early nineties, as um, the music capabilities of computers progressed and you had systems coming out like the N64 and the PlayStation, the original PlayStation, that were able to have larger storage capacities on their, you know, cartridges or discs or whatever mm. that they could um, basically have higher quality music sounds. They basically were able to create, I guess, what you would call r- like real orchestrated recorded music for um, for their games. Mm-hmm. So chiptune music because of that actually kind of fell out of favor simply because the te- the technology kind of moved past it yeah so, and this is something else we briefly touched on too with that other episode was mm-hmm. that i think a lot of the choices that we played in that episode were kind of in this post uh chip, post chiptune era yeah exactly where yeah. the capability of the hardware was such that you know you weren't really as restricted and nowadays it's mm-hmm. pretty much not restricted at all Exactly. So, so yeah, because of that, really from the early 90s up until the early 2000s, uh, chiptune music kind of was really never performed like live by electronic DJs. Mm. Songs were pretty underground and kind of exclusively spread around through these executable programs and other computer file formats. Mm. But apparently some of the earliest samples of actual record label releases of pure chip music, kind of like what was done by these these underground. Most of these underground guys, like you know, use Okashiro and format. Mm. This was this was just stuff they were doing for fun, you know, when they weren't helping develop video games. This right. was like hobby, a hobby for them. But by the late nineties, I I don't know if it was just a wave of nostalgia had set in, or if because some of these these rudimentary programs have been able had, were more widely available with the inception of the internet Mm. but uh yeah in the in the late 90s uh it actually started to gain popularity again and some record labels were actually starting to produce chiptune music Mm. one of the first major like i guess breakthroughs of the uh in the second wave i guess you could call it of chiptune music was this guy called if came out with a song called space invaders are smoking grass in 1997 Mm. for whatever reason it took off was crazy popular in like the electronic scene and i i guess one music critic described it as quote burbling electro in a vocodered homage to atari era hijinks that's a lot of that's quite a quite a sentence or phrase i guess i know Mm. um so yeah this this guy if dj guy whatever came out with a song and it was for whatever reason kind of jump-started the repopularization of chiptune so Mm. we should probably listen to a little clip of it (laughs) 
it's funny because when you listen to this, it actually reminds me a lot of Prodigy. Yeah, uh, I can I can hear some similarity there for sure. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, it, you definitely hear more. Like here's where electronic music is now, but also here, but also here's yeah. like the chiptune influence in this. Exactly. Um, it it's it's much more dance oriented than just like hey here's what I can do with this program. Right. By the mid two thousands, um, this eight bit chiptune music was actually starting to make a big comeback with mainstream pop music. It was used by artists like Beck in his two thousand five song Girl. Um, it was used by The Killers in their 2004 song, On Top. It was used by No Doubt. Um, it was used by the the indie band The Postal Service in a lot of their songs. Mm. One of the samples I actually did want to play um, from a popular song that uses chiptune music is the opening to the song On Top by The Killers. Okay. Not to gush over The Killers too much, but mm. I... I looked at this song, and then I was like, hey, I really like this song. I remember this song when I was in high school. And so I looked up this album. It's called Hot Fuss. And literally every single fucking song in this album is amazing. <laughs> like, nice. like, I've always kind of liked The Killers, but I kind of never realized that every one of the songs I liked by them was from this album. That's really cool. So I'm like, okay. I kind of like rediscovered them in a weird way. I was like listening to them all last week. Uh, why don't we play a clip of this, listeners, so you can hear the chiptune magic. Yeah, that's interesting. It's kind of a subtle inclusion in there it's not i i wouldn't consider it a like a major musical part of this song but it's no, definitely it's, it's definitely kind of an, an influence intro. in there for sure yeah that's cool and i guess if you're you know if you if you're established in a different musical yeah. genre you're not just randomly going to make a full-on chip chip song for no reason. yeah uh, but that's cool to see that kind of true. influence spreading beyond just you know like house music subgenre yeah exactly exactly in 2003 there was a j-pop which stands for japanese pop a j-pop girl group called perfume that along with their producer yes yes jesus these names are hard to say mm-hmm. yasutaka nakata jeez began producing uh music actually combining chiptunes with synth pop and electro house and they actually had a breakthrough a little while later on in 2007 with their song Game, which uh, actually led to a lot of other Japanese female artists kind of copying their style, and it became like a whole J-pop subgenre or something. Hmm. I don't claim to understand a lot about Japan, but... Um, I listened to the song, and it's actually really good. I want to say I've actually heard it before, so... But Kyle, we've done the karaoke episode. We know all about Japan. Oh, yeah. Should we listen to a clip of, uh, of Game for the listeners? Sounds good. Cool. Yeah, see, this is an example where I would say it's a lot more chiptune, like, strong influence in it. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's more chiptune heavy than something like The Killers. 
So this the next bit here is where chiptune gets kind of weird. In the late 2000s, there was actually a sort of new wave of chiptune culture that kind of exploded, boosted by the release of software such as Little Sound DJ that was produced for the Game Boy. So hmm. <laughs> they were literally coming out with these softwares meant to be used by these like sort of 8 and 16-bit systems like their original Game Boy. Hmm. So anyone with a Game Boy could literally make their own chiptune music. On the which, Game Boy. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Which is kind of cool. So it just helped create like this new, newfound fascination with chiptunes. Obviously, that combined with nostalgia, as we were saying. Mm. <clears throat> but this new culture actually had a much more of an emphasis on live performances, like you know tr- traditional DJs would do, mm. and not just something that a computer program is spitting out. And actually having like real record releases of chiptune music, rather than just this kind of underground trading of mm. songs and software and whatever that was going on in the early 90s and late 80s. These these new artists weren't so much uh, aware or influenced by these earlier artists of the 80s and 90s. It was just the newfound wide availability of this ability to create chiptune music mm. that led to a whole new uh, explosion of chiptune music being influenced by other genres. Rather than right. simply just being influenced by the video games that these these original chiptune makers were doing, you know. Mm-hmm. I guess in recent years, 8-bit chiptune sounds or video game beats have been used by a ton of different pop artists, like we were saying before, even in the last 10 years, uh, including Eminem, 50 Cent. Um, there's uh, really big electronic bands that have based, or electronic artists, I'm sorry, electronic artists that have based a lot of their sounds off of chiptune like dead mouse mm. and anamanaguchi um anamanaguchi i remember was huge when we were in college mm. and they basically are almost exclusively kind of creating that chiptune sound but it's much more musically or how do i say it it's much more electronically inclined or dance mm. whatever okay. synth inclined than something like you know uh, Revenge of Shinobi. <laughs> right, right. I guess. Um, I picked a handful, um, just to kind of give the listeners a sense of like, here's where chiptune music is pretty much at right now. Okay. Um, it's still being, it's still being made, obviously. Yeah. So I picked three songs and I, I don't know if it's best we just play them back to back. What do you think, Peter? Back to back to back. Back to back to back. Baby back ribs. So the first, <laughs> The first song I picked is interesting. It's a song by 50 Cent called AO Technology that came out in 2009. You can definitely hear the kind of chiptune influence in the, I guess, underpinnings of the song under his 50 Sensible sensible Rapping. Um, The second song I picked is the song Endless Fantasy by Anamanaguchi that came out in 2013. This is easily one of the most famous songs. Mm. Uh, And then... The third song is the undeniably popular Ghosts and Stuff by Dead Mouse that came out in 2009, which really makes me feel old because I remember everybody in college freaking out when this came out. <laughs> it was like everywhere. So mm. uh, we're going to play these three songs back to back just so you can kind of get a sense of how... It's interesting because it, each one of them is very distinct, mm. but each one of them is undeniably influenced by chiptune music. So you can kind of see how that that bass 
influence of that sort of 8-bit sound has spread throughout many different genres mm-hmm. in the music industry. Yeah, and that's cool because I feel like going into this topic, I wasn't expecting as much like connection with pop music. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's interesting that it's, I guess it's more prolific throughout different kinds of music than even I realized. So that's neat. So, all right, let's listen to 50 Cent Anamanaguchi and Dead She work girl, she work pole, she break it down, she take it low, she find it, she bout the dough, she doing a thing out on the floor. Her money, money, she make it, make it look at the way. She shake it, shake it, make you want touch it, make you want taste it. How you lust for it, going crazy, face now, don't stop. Get it, get it, the way she shake it, make you want it. Then she double join it from the way she split it, got your Anamanaguchi, you can definitely hear the most influence because the whole song is basically, the whole album is really, is chiptune. It's kind of their thing. Mm-hmm. But it's just interesting that, it, you know, it spread to rap, it spread to pop, it spread to indie music. Yeah, I, like I said before, I, it's neat to see uh, the influence spread that far. I guess I've always thought of chiptune music kind of in the narrow sense of <laughs> it used to be made for video games and now it's kind of a niche thing. Because I think there probably are mm-hmm. a, a number of artists, like indie, like unknown artists that do strictly chiptune music in the in the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. I'm not aware of any of them personally, but I'm pretty sure that's an actual like thing that some people listen to. And if you do, oh, listeners, sure. good on you. I mean, I know plenty of people that just listen to video game soundtracks all, all day. So Right. I'm curious if there are people who are chiptune purists basically and they're like oh man you know if 50 cent uses it in his song was bullshit but you know if it's you know the soundtrack to uh, zelda on game boy color or something then that's like <laughs> the golden shit um yeah but i i think i also wanted to touch on briefly just like the early pioneers of chiptune music were really um important in the sense that they had so little to work with in terms of the hardware and the instrumentation they could use because mm-hmm. really you can only make so many different kinds of sounds and so and especially like uh, you know for early video games there was almost no for lack of a better term like hardware like hard, hard drive space to hold mm-hmm. these music tunes so they really had to make it not only really simple but also fairly short and like loopable um, exactly. in a way that would work looping a long time and not getting too annoying which is why i think you get certain songs from that era being kind of well known because they're catchy exactly Um, yeah they're like earworms yeah so i think the you know especially the early people who made that kind of music deserve some credit for working within those limitations Mm-hmm. and doing that successfully so i guess that's kind of where i was thinking like maybe some people appear as like well now you can do anything so it doesn't really follow the same guidelines perhaps 
than it used to. Um, True. And I wonder if, I mean, I'm sure at least some people do, like who make chiptune music nowadays. Um, I wonder if some of them limit themselves in that same way, or if not. I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, I would, I would almost think because the world, you know, it's you can probably download an app that makes chiptune music now that they wouldn't want to limit themselves and they'd be able to create any sounds they want, but kind of filter it through that simplistic 8-bit sound. Mm. And even, obviously, as evidenced by artists like Ana Managuchi, um, you know, they could take 8-bit music anywhere as far as from, right. from a creative standpoint. In fact, there's a video game I just bought for the Switch. It's like a it's like a platformer game, kind of like Super Meat Boy, where it's, like, really fucking hard. Um Ugh. It's a game called Celeste, and it's a really interesting game. It says girl is trying to climb this mountain, but hmm. the entire game is kind of a metaphor for her dealing with her own depression. So it's actually kind uh-huh. of like emotionally interesting. It's, That's cool. And, you know, I got rave reviews, blah, blah, blah. But the soundtrack for the game is actually really fucking catchy. And hmm. it's in that sort of 16-bit style because that's how the game is, is in its hmm. in its style. And it actually won a couple of like video game sound music awards for just being a really damn good soundtrack. But hmm. like you said, they limited themselves to a degree to hmm. you know the uh, limitations of that of that type of music. So they couldn't just you know put any instruments in they wanted. They filtered it through that sort of sixteen bit system. But yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like eight bit music, at least for now, is kind of here to stay. I don't know. If the generation after us will be that interested, because they'll have grown up with games that moved past that technology. So. Yeah, it's weird because you you almost get to the point, and you can even say that to some extent we are kind of in the early generations where legit chip tune music kind of faded out. Mm-hmm. And so, like, does it have as much meaning for us or for the next generation or two? I don't know. Then. You know, for people who actually grew up in, like, say, the 80s or the 70s. That's a good point. Yeah, I guess we'll have to kind of wait and see where chiptune music goes from here. But right now it's riding a wave of nostalgia that doesn't seem to be slowing down. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of all I have to say about um, chiptune music. I'm sure there's, you know, pantheons more that there probably is about it. But this is all I could research in, like, an hour. Hmm. Thank you for doing that, Kyle. No worries. Thank you for eventually editing this episode for me. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you listeners for doing what you do best, which is listening. Which is not listening to us. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it. Um, Well, the thing that you're second best at doing listeners is telling us what you think on Facebook at facebook.com slash get your funk. If you want to listen to other episodes that we've done, um, most of them not about video game stuff but there's a couple that we've done scattered around um you can go to getyourfunk.com and search our entire archive mm-hmm. and you can uh, listen to any episode you want search for them download them whatever love them and if you want to pay us money um we really like money <laughs> you don't want to give us money listeners you know it's funny um for a while during our episodes, you would mention the tip page, and you would call it, like... Because I, I think... What is it? Getyourfunk.com slash tips. But then you were calling it getyourfunk.com slash 
tip jar or slash just the tip. <laughs> and so I actually made those and redirected it to the original page so that people would actually that's, find it. That's amazing. I really hope you put the top. But then, but then since then, you've been saying it correctly. So Damn it's like, it. Oh, whatever. Damn it. <laughs> I, I really hope that the, the, the heading for that page is just the tip. <laughs> Uh, it's not, but I can change it if you want. <laughs> I think this is a good time to stop talking. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you, listeners. Um, tune in next time, assuming that we aren't uh, shut down for some reason. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.